0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 243, Junior League of Atlanta. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shaped the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week's episode is about the Junior League, specifically its origins in Atlanta, who started it, and what did they accomplish in their early history. A quick disclaimer before we begin, this is by no means a complete history of the good deeds of the Atlanta Junior League. That feat would be impossible because there is literally 3,000 newspaper mentions in each of their first three decades of existence. Like if you go and you search Junior League and the 1930s has like 3,500 mentions. Truly between prominent members, their connections to Atlanta society and all of their good work, it was overwhelming enough for me to even whittle this down into a brief little history episode. So what I did attempt to do was cover the very early highlights and then kind of like by decade, give you a brief overview of what they did and then a little bit of extra time on some really notable achievements. The first Junior League was founded in New York City in 1901 by Mary Harriman. Small but fun personal connection for me. I grew up really close to Harriman State Park, which is named after her father and her family. As a 19-year-old Barnard College student and a debutante, Mary was inspired by a lecture on the settlement movement, and she organized others to become involved in settlement work. This organization was first called the Junior League for the Promotion of the Settlement Movement. Now, this all ties chronologically with the progressive movement, which I've talked about in many episodes before. Atlanta had at least three debutante clubs. Um, I don't know if they were all related, but they all existed. One member, Iseline Campbell, is credited with starting the Atlanta Junior League. Her father was Richard Campbell, Coal Company owner, and the family lived in a really beautiful home on Petrie Street. She was a member of the Debutant Club of Atlanta, and after a visit to New York, she returned inspired by the work of Mary Harriman. In 1915, she molded the Debutant Club here into the first Atlanta branch of the Junior League of America. In October of 1916, the city's three debutante clubs, all under the direction of General Manager Iseline, planned a butterfly ball held at the Piedmont Driving Club. The butterfly theme played on the ladies being quote-unquote social butterflies, and it was the event of the season. I'm talking gowns, dancing, and lots and lots of money raised. These funds gave the debutantes the idea of opening a model apartment and cooking school, or as they called it, a domestic science institution. Opened in April of 1917, the Junior League School of Household Arts was located in the James Building in downtown Atlanta, and plans were drawn by the architecture firm of Hence, Reed, and Adler. And honestly, if you know your Atlanta architecture history, this feels like me going back in time and asking Frank Lloyd Wright to design my bathroom. But it really highlights that these women were the upper crust of Atlanta society with connections far and wide. The school was geared to serve three different types of women, The married woman, the business working woman, and the girl just out of school. Subjects were taught cooking, marketing, food values, means of avoiding waste, sewing, pattern drafting, shopping, and rug weaving, and interior decoration, home furnishing, and general care of the house. The showpiece was a model apartment with a living room, dining room, a bedroom, and a kitchen. And this was kind of your final exam. So the class was 10 weeks long, and when you were done, you went into this model apartment in real time and, like, displayed what you learned. Atlanta's Junior League was only two years old when the United States entered into World War I, and its members jumped right into the war effort, volunteering at Camp Gordon, Grady Hospital, the YMCA, and many others. By 1919, their domestic science school space was converted into a war camp kitchen. Isoline Campbell, who had led the Atlanta chapter for two years, went overseas to do YMCA volunteer work, and she married William McKenna in 1921. So he had been stationed at Camp Gordon. He wasn't from here originally, but that marriage meant a move to Boston, and she wouldn't return to Atlanta until decades later. During the 1920s, the Junior League sponsored a free school library. They started their famous Junior League Follies performances. They hosted the National Junior League Conference in Atlanta. They provided milk to malnourished children, and they opened a tea room in two different locations. So I actually have a tea room episode in the works because it's really fascinating women's history. Um, But the one or the kind that the Junior League operated, it was a model where nonprofits would operate these kinds of restaurants and then donate all profits um, after like operating costs to a selected charity. In 1927, Atlanta's Junior League opened a tea room in the Medical Arts Building on Petrie Street, where they dressed in French peasant costumes while serving. Now, the following year, they moved uh, downtown to 91 Petrie Street, and they went with the Spanish tea room motif. I would, there's some pictures, but they really don't do it justice. I would just kill to see that. Um, now, all of these funds from the tea room sales went to the Junior League ward in the Henrietta Eggleston Hospital, which is today Children's Healthcare. Even though the Great Depression dominated the 1930s in America, the Junior League accomplished some of its most impactful work in that decade. Over $100,000 had been raised and donated to various charities and institutions. The Children's Hospital received the majority of it, um, also the Atlanta Community Chest. They financed a program through the Family Welfare Society, and they continued distributing books to needy children. They celebrated a decade of giving out Christmas baskets during the holidays, and they formed the Junior League Thyroid Clinic at Grady Hospital. The decade's biggest news was the 1938 opening of the Junior League School for Speech Correction. Formed in June of that year for 18 children, it opened on the sixth floor of the Medical Arts Building, serving as one of the few schools in the country to provide speech correction for speech issues caused by deafness or other impediments. The school was free tuition for students, and it was led by Mrs. William Hamm, who came from the Central Institute for the Deaf in St. Louis. By November of 1938, 113 pupils were enrolled in the school, and the school expanded and moved several times in the next decades. One of these moves was actually funded by one of their last events in the 1930s, which is the Gone with the Wind Ball. So Gone with the Wind premiered in Atlanta, and needless to say, it was a huge deal. And the Junior League's ball raised $20,000. And again, later, can't remember exactly what year, they were able to buy an old mansion to move the school into. By the way, the school still exists today. It's called the Atlanta Speech School. In the 1940s, the League celebrated their 25th anniversary and touted membership of over 500 women, making it the largest junior league in the South and the ninth largest in the United States. They restarted the Follies, which had stopped during the Depression, and they worked on war efforts. World War II dominated the first half of the decade, and the Junior League formed a War Activities Committee, which opened a canteen and an officer's lounge. They also volunteered to cover positions at Citizens and Southern Bank that had been vacated by those drafted, and they also managed like a bonds department. And this was the craziest thing I had read. They paid these women and girls the same salaries that the people who had left the bank to go to the war, but everything was donated to charity. So they essentially worked for free. And then on top of that, they ran like a little war bonds booth that was extremely successful. They put on member art exhibits at the High Museum, and they established the nearly new shop, which actually stayed open until 2017. One of their biggest events of the 1940s was the Song of the South premiere in 1946. So if you don't know, that is kind of Disney's forgotten movie for lots of very good reasons. Um, But that premiered in Atlanta, and they again kind of capitalized on that national movie premiere to raise money. By the 1950s, a junior league had more than a 1,000 members. By the 1960s, they celebrated their 50th anniversary as the fourth largest league in America. In the 60s, they also purchased their own building to house offices and headquarters. In the 1970s, they expanded that facility and took the title of the largest junior league in the country at over 2,400 members. Iseline Campbell, the woman who started it all, had moved back to Atlanta after her first husband died, and she remarried, and she actually went on to open Smyrna's Aunt Fanny's cabin. So that has been in the news recently in the last two years because it was uh, relocated, I think. Now, this is not related to the Junior League. I just thought it was such a weird tie-in when I stumbled across that, how she um, had her family's uh, country estate in Smyrna, where she then opened this restaurant and then died in 1978. By 1981, the Atlanta Junior League had already admitted their first Black and Jewish members, but each chapter president carried that socialite vibe very much carried over from its origins. And that really started to change in the 1980s, a trend that carried nationally, where the organization really highlighted charity work, you know, good deed work, and it was very much less of the debutante feeling from the early days. Atlanta's Junior League is still going strong today with about 2800 diverse members and tons of activities and events and charity work. I went on their website. I couldn't even, I mean, I was reading the newsletter. I couldn't even keep up with all the things that they do. I am not a joiner by nature. I say this all the time. I've never been in a sorority. I don't do clubs. I'm just not a group project person. Um But really reading all the things that they work on now was really heartwarming. And it just, you know, for two seconds made me possibly want to join something. So there you have it. The story of Atlanta's Junior League. Thank you everyone for listening. If you celebrate Christmas this week, Merry Christmas. I will be back with one more very short episode before the end of the year. And I'm excited for 2024. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.